Welcome to Southern Steep, the public health and social justice podcast brought to you by NASDAQ, a nonprofit, nonpartisan association mission to end the intersecting epidemics of HIV, viral hepatitis, and related conditions. Much like brewing stronger tea, this platform aims to brew a stronger community by centering community leaders' voices and their innovative work in the Southern United States. In this special episode of Southern Steep, Brewing Stronger Community, Nicole and Isaiah speak with attendees of NASDAQ's first ever Southern CBO Summit, which took place in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the beginning of January. Some guest conversations took place live at the summit, while others took place a few weeks after the summit ended. We hope you enjoy this special episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Southern Steep Live. Here we are in person, and we are talking to some folks live and in action. My name is Nicole Elinoff, and I am joined here by Isaiah Webster III. Hi, Isaiah. <laughs> Hello, Nicole. You put the third in today. You don't normally do that. I don't. Um, today's a new day. We are live now. <laughs> We're also joined by an incredible individual, and... Their name is Dexter. Dexter, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Dexter, tell us about you. Tell us about your organization. Who are you and where do you where do you work? Okay, so my name is Dexter. I live in Hampton, Virginia, and I work at the LGBT Life Center, and that's located in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, I am a black queer man of trans experience. Um, so I, for some people that are like, what does that mean? That means that I transition from female to male. And I do outreach and advocacy. I'm the transgender resource coordinator. So my job is to locate resources and connect individuals with those resources. Dexter, that's awesome. Dexter, how did you hear about the Southern CBO Summit? So my supervisor actually asked me if I wanted to go. She actually was watching me while I was typing and popped over my shoulder and said, hey, so would you like to go on an adventure? And I said, sure. You know I like adventures. Is it an exciting adventure? She said, oh, you're going to fly to Florida. I think it's exciting. And so when she sent me the information, um, I said, this is entirely my speed. So I was definitely excited. Awesome. Have you ever been on a podcast before? I have. I've interviewed, and my brothers and I are currently working on a podcast. So we're working on getting it together so we can launch it. Tell us more, right? if, you're, if, you're, if you can. <laughs> so I have a group of other trans men, and we are working on this podcast called The Bronouns Podcast. I love it. Because <laughs> one of my friends is like, I was like, what's your pronouns? He's like, he, him, and everything bronouns. And I was like, bet we have it, the bronouns, which is just us as men of trans experience just sharing our lived experience, I believe, in advocacy through storytelling. So it's an easier way to kind of get our message across. I love it. So with the Southern CBO Summit is really about um, leadership, and I have been privileged to share space with you throughout the event thus far, and you absolutely exhibit leadership in any number of ways. Um, and I particularly, I just want to say, I saw you earlier today. Uh, we had a tender moment with, with one of our colleagues, and you immediately, like... Um, uh, took care of that person, took care of that space. And it was just, you did it in such an authentic way. I just wanted to compliment you on that because it's a type of leadership that some of us like me, as I said, in that space, that can be challenging. So the first question that Nicole and I have is, how do you define your leadership? If you had to put it in your own words, how would you phrase it? So one thing I've learned about myself in defining my leadership is that I am a intellectually empathetic leader. 
and a friend of mine helped give me that language. So I'm incredibly empathetic. I feel what people feel, but I read it very logically. And so I've, when, I'm, when I'm in spaces of leadership, I try to take that into consideration. I've been told I'm very disarming, and that can be very helpful. Um, as a Libra, I, am, I try to be balanced for everybody else but myself. <laughs> um, so I've noticed for me, it, when it comes to my leadership, it comes from a place of, of fairness and justice. And in order for me to be that person, I have to actively listen. I have to make sure that I'm getting the representation from others, and I value people's voices. And I've really practiced active listening, reframing what people say back to them, um, validating dating their lived experiences, and then in my leadership experiences, taking that on. And a lot of that has actually been about vulnerability. So a lot of my leadership is taking a vulnerable moment of my own and using my wordsmithing to phrase it very eloquently so that way I can elicit that out of others and to get others to come to the conclusion. My leadership is very much, and it's been taught for me by other leaders, is it's not for me to tell you how to get there. It's for you, me to help you make that aha moment. And so if I can get you to go, I figured it out, then I feel like I've accomplished something. So intellectually empathetic. Yep. I have not heard that <laughs> phrasing combined together, and I really love that. And I love that you are talking about helping someone come to the journey and not necessarily telling them this is how you do it, this is how you get there, because at the end of the day, people need to have their own journey. This is their storybook to write. So you mentioned that you're with LGBT Life Center based in Norfolk, Virginia. Tell us a little bit more about your organization and the communities that you serve. So the LGBT Life Center in Norfolk services LGBTQ clients, families, friends, allies, including heterosexual clients. Uh, we do everything from testing to wraparound <laughs> comprehensive services. So that can include housing referrals. We can also include medical case management for folks living or folks living with HIV. We do in-house mental health services as well as referrals. Um, I oversee the transgender basically resource connection program. So we like to connect trans people with the medical resources that they need, but also the social support that they need. Uh, we just launched a senior services department, so we are also trying to connect seniors. So much of the LGBT Life Center is about creating a space in which other leaders can help their communities. So we've become that hub. I love that you're including seniors in your programming because when I think of LGBT Life Center or Life, it's every space, every part of the life cycle. And I think sometimes, especially LGBTQ seniors, are left out. And sometimes they might need the most support because aging can become very isolating. And if they are living in a place that is not affirming, that can be very detrimental to that person in their wellness. So that's awesome that you all are doing senior programming. So we're not quite finished with this Southern CBS Summit. We have another half day to go. But up to this point, what do you think is going to be your takeaway or one of your takeaways from uh, this experience, this event? One of the biggest takeaways I've got from this event is the importance of cultivating and curating intentional space with others. Um, just like we said in one of our sessions, um, healing doesn't happen in isolation, nor does growth, nor does learning, nor does this human experience. And one thing I really learned as a takeaway was that in order to persevere, you need to be in the company of others and you need to be intentional about how you create that space. And when you do it, it's very beautiful.
Something I said earlier in a previous session is that it takes a community to heal a community. And I think that one of the unique experiences of the summit is that folks that are community leaders at CBOs in the South are able to come together. And inherently that is a community because not everyone knows what it's like to be a leader at a CBO in the South. Or just being a leader in general. And it's important as leaders to have a space because our conversations are different, our interactions are different, our needs are different. And one that's key is that we get to rest and recharge in a place with others that have a similar experience um, and, and similar mindset. And so it's, it's very reassuring. It can be lonely being a leader. Incredibly, especially when your job is to unite people and yet you feel lonely. But it's also nice to see others share in that struggle. So when you see that, you realize that, again, that loneliness is very personal. And it's okay to be alone, but you have to combat loneliness. And so this, to me, was an act of self-love, which was to come out here, try something new, meet some new people that reflect back to me something beautiful in myself. So glad that this is happening. <laughs> I have a big smile on my face, everyone. So happy. We have another question, and that's the question we ask for everyone. What do you love about the South, and what do you want to see for the South? This is a question we ask all of our guests on the pod. I love the essence. There is a very special soul that Southerners share. I have lived in the North. I've lived in very. I've lived here, and I've traveled different places in the South. But it's it's something that's that inclusive of Southern hospitality. But it's just something extra, something special. There's that we all got a little seasoning in our soul here in the South. It don't matter what you look like. Everybody got a little special Southern seasoning on their soul, and it's just this 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 innate desire to want to connect. It's just something that we do here in the South that's so well. So one thing I really want to see is I want to see people manifest in the South. I want to see people manifest that leadership and manifest leaders that look like the communities that they serve because they deserve that. Dexter, it's been incredible having you here. <laughs> it's an incredible coming. And <laughs> yes, get your life. <laughs> I can't wait for the pronouns. So mm-hmm. I have a question. Besides he, him, what are the other pronouns, dude? <laughs> what else? Oh man, I've heard so many. Uh, sir, King, Daddy. It just depends. Mm. <laughs> so Daddy, always. But many of my, my, my brothers are fathers. So that's something we get to talk about is actually transparenting, meaning being the parent who is trans and having youth, but also being a parent of trans youth. So they kind of opened me up to they have they have issues just like cis men. It's just these the exact same, except they don't see it. They see it from a different lens. So it's one of those routes that we're going to actually delve down. We can't wait to listen. Um, and we're so glad that you were able to come and be a guest on our podcast. And we look forward to seeing everything that you continue to do. Uh, this is not the end. This is just the beginning. Entirely. Continue to do this. This summit was amazing. And you heard it here on the podcast. <laughs> Everyone. Yeah, this was the first ever, not the last. And we are joined by another incredible guest, and his name is Lee. Lee, welcome. Thank you. Lee, tell us more about who you are and what organization are you with? Yeah, so my name is uh, E. Lee Dyer IV. 
I use the pronouns he, him, his. Um, I am one of the co-executive directors and co-founder of an organization called BONDS, which stands for Brothers Obtaining and Navigating Dynamic Solidarity. Um, we're not a grassroots nonprofit um, that does um, leadership development and HIV prevention and sexual health education for trans men and trans masculine folks. Um, we kind of started out as just like a support group of trans guys getting together in the DMV area, and then it evolved into an organization, and we do a, um, a week every year called um, Trans Men and Trans Masculine Week of Affirmation and Resilience, which has um, its hybrid, so there's a virtual part during the week where we do a session around topics that uh, speak to live experience of trans men and trans masculine folks, and then we end it with some social events um, connecting trans men and trans masculine folks because um, while we know trans people face a high number of violence, um, but unlike our trans femme uh, folks, trans men leading cause of death uh, most times is suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that happening from loneliness and isolation, so we wanted to stand in a void to create some connections. Thank you for sharing that, and we're so glad that you all are here at the summit. How did you hear about it? Um, so uh, Tyree Williams, who's the co-executive director of Bonds as well, um, he, in his full-time work, works uh, for the Virginia Department of Health, so was familiar um, with some of the, like, with the HIV world and the work that's being done and um, helps a lot of times establish services and programs for us. So, Lee, I really appreciate you being here and, and, how, and your opening comments. I, I statement. I feel like when we talk about trans folks in general, it often goes to housing, it often goes to transportation, it often goes to all these other things. You mention mental health, which I feel like we don't talk enough about. I wanted to know just from your perspective, like, what do you think we need to be talking about vis-a-vis mental health of trans masculine folks that's not being talked about? Well, I think there is the, like, it's it's multi-pronged, right, and multi-demographic um, because it's not a monolith. Um, so just a little bit of contextual background, um, like with the creation of Bonds and the co-executive directors, like I said, Tyree, um, he's always been, like, in the activist community, HIV community, and myself. I work in higher education, so I run the um, Center for Sexual Orientation, Gender um, Identity, and and expression at James Madison University. So I was seeing your Generation Zs. He was seeing, you know, um, millennials and up. And so, like, we saw, like, with our older trans men and trans masculine folks, due to safety, many of them had been living stealth. And living their stealth lives, a lot of them had to leave their old lives. So that mean might have left family behind that could have outed them, might have left friend groups that they had that might have outed them. And then also, too, for many trans men and trans masculine folks um, who prior to the transition might have identified as like a a dominant lesbian or a lesbian of masculine center, Mm -hmm. Um, we transition and now having this masculine aesthetic, Mm -hmm. realizing too that your community that you belong to and had so many ties to might not see you, might not receive you the same in love because you now have this male aesthetic and and the honesty with that is that many folks that might identify as women or femme um, have had issues of violence with folks that identify as men. So now you now have this identity that is a danger. Um, and so that we saw that isolation play into mental health. And then also, too, depending on like socioeconomic barriers and things like that, just not even having access around mental health or not even knowing where to go or finding their affirming care. So like myself, you know, like I've had the privilege of education. So when I go find a therapist, I know I can go to psychology today, put in all types of filters and find somebody who can fit all my needs, right? Um, but I remember when I lived in like Cincinnati, right? Going to a therapist and being like, 
you know, I have, I'm dealing with anxiety, I'm dealing with ADHD, but I'm trying to root all of my things to a transition. Be like, that's not the totality of me. Um, so I think like that access, the, the uh, social um, determinants to play into mental health, um, and just also to education, because we have to think about cultural. So for bonds, like we're open to all trans men and trans masculine folks, but the majority of our population do identify as people of color. So we're breaking down stigmas in black community because my experience in black community in the South has been, you know, all a lot of the experiences related to a faith-based experience. Mm-hmm. And so churches are just getting now to the point where they're advocating for mental health. Also, a, another subsect of our population identifies as, as Latinx. And so also, too, in, that, in, in the culture and also faith-based relationships to Latinx community. So I think it's just a it's a it's, it's a multitude of things that are nuanced. Um, so I would say like those faith-based relationships, cultural stigma, the isolation and access when we talk about mental health. So we're here at the Southern CBO Summit, which is really about bringing together Southern CBOs and Southern leaders around building community. Um, when you think about leadership, how do you define your leadership? Um. I think of my leadership as being servient and transformative. Um, one thing I'm really big about is like, uh, I feel like if you're a leader, you should not feel that any part is a small part. Um, and seeing equity in your work. I know sometimes in my experience, folks get so tied to titles, um, but I'm really about uh, rolling up the sleeve. And then another thing about uh, transformative leadership I really do believe in, um, and I don't know if this is like the HBCU education for me, but I really do live and believe in each one teach one. Um, and I feel a lot of times information is gatekeep kept or folks don't cultivate leaders. And I get it, like people can be in a position for like 20 years, but for me, if you're a leader and you've been an ED for 20 years or sit in a position of 20 years, I hope that you have cultivated at least a person a year <laughs> right in your existence in that role um and i don't see enough of that and i understand like you know some of that is due to um things get territorial and because a lot of things are due to funding and so like funding gets marginalized and so sometimes in the community we feel like we have to pit against each other um but i would i hope that leaders um believe in that transformative leadership too where they are also helping cultivate the next generation of leaders I I personally love transformative leadership. I think at the end of the day, we all should be building leaders and others, and it doesn't matter if they end up having a title of executive director. And I think that leadership is so much more than having that title, but you're absolutely right that there is some founder syndrome out there where someone might found founded an organization and holds on to it, and then what about all the other leaders that could have been cultivated during that time? What's been a takeaway for you at the summit? I've been to some really, really great sessions. So today, um, one of the sessions that I went to about stigma and just hearing about what other states are uh, going through. And so just hearing from some of the other CBOs that are in the Bible Belt and hearing about their different workarounds that even though legislation has hit them hard and things like that, the creativity that they've had to work around the laws to get their services and get their population demographics to still get what they need. Um, I think that that's been great. And then another session that I went to that was uh, really great was about community partnership. Um, and it kind of frame it kind of reframed the way we think about community partnership um, especially like one of the cr- critiques that I myself give and 
folks always give like about the community and about like this work is like, oh, come on, I'm tired of being on the political like campaign or like, do I have to be friends with everybody? Um, but the uh, presentation today kind of talked about like an equity model and like, just some different tools to think around community partnership. Pass, what's the program we're going to do together? Pass, like who's going to put in what money for the program? One of our longest running arguments on this show is whether or not a certain place is technically in the South or not. So I need to get you on record. DMV, is that really the South or not? So actually, we have to back it up and define DMV. <laughs> Fair. Because uh, for the native Washingtonians, Virginia, even though it's right across the water, the northern part of it, they don't include that in it. Now, DMV, I do believe, is part of the South because some of it is below the Mason-Dixon line. And, you know, I shared some history earlier. <laughs> Harriet Tubman is from Maryland. <laughs> Maryland is out, is below the Mason-Dixon line. Virginia is below the Mason-Dixon line. Northern Virginia and Southern Virginia are two different, com- completely different places. Um, and, yeah, thank you. Thank you for... <laughs> The debate debate continues. Sticking with that theme, uh, what do you really love about the South, and what do you want to see for the South? I mean, I know the South has um, quite an interesting history, but I also believe it's very beautiful. So I am a native of New Orleans. Well, let me say originally Marrero, because like you know, people from New Orleans would be like, "Wait, the West Bank and the East Bank are two different banks." Don't try it. They are. But um, (laughs) being being a native of the cities. And growing up in a city that I feel was very closely still kept a lot of their African traditions, and there's no other place like home. In other southern states I've lived in, like North Carolina um, and Virginia, I just feel like there's a hospitality that I don't get everywhere else. And the thing of, like, being seen by folks, right, just past the, uh, like, no knock against New York. I understand it's very busy and fast-paced, so people just have to walk fast and can't make direct eye contact. But, uh, you know, it's like when I'm home in New Orleans and people make direct eye contact with you, they're like, hey, babe, how you doing? Like, it's a it's a comfort and a, and a reassurance, and um, I've loved the community. Like, even though there's been some adversities, but I feel there is um, community support. Like, my grandmother, she always does this thing of, like, when she talks to people, especially if she doesn't know them, past asking your name, she'll say, who your people, baby? And so, like, that that who you're, who's your people, because we all know each other and look out for each other, um, that's one thing I do love about the South. Where I would love to see the South move, um, I think we have a lot of equity uh, to build. But one of the things I would love to see is, like, I don't know if... Um, I don't know if you could say people of color gentrification, but uh, many, not just the South, many cities are dealing with a vast gentrification. Um, but the one thing in the South that I'm seeing that's like the, that gentrification is affecting everything, like all parts of the world. I would like to see more of us that moved away from the South, that's made our money and, and made our things move back to the South and buy grandma's home. And instead of sending our kids to the private school, send our kids to the school in the neighborhood and really be a part of that community. Use Maryland for an example. At one time, I think Maryland had the most concentrated black millionaires in in, a, in, in a Prince area. George's County? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so instead of folks sending their kids to Prince George's County, they would send their kids to Sidwell and Friends, mm-hmm. right? And I think about like when my grandmother grew up um, in a segregated New Orleans high school, right? 
we all know separate but equal, it was very unequal. Um, but she always talks about how it didn't matter what the school didn't have. Her father was a Mason. So the Masons raised money for books. Um, her mother and, and other friends, they were cooks, so they were in a lunchroom cooking. Everybody was a part of the school in that synergy. So like I always tell people like when if, if I do have children, that's that's if that's my route in life. If I own a um on a home in the city and the school's not that not that good, well, I'm going to be the classroom parent. One of my gifts is writing grants. So me and that principal are going to be together. Like, what y'all need? Because let me get my team together so we can write a grant to help uplift that. And I think, like, if we start to get back in that, we can kind of, like, shift um, the culture and really bring back those close-knit communities and really give some economic growth. Because while we make laws around different things, I think the thing that, like, keeps some of our southern cities in a high crime is that, like, We've lived there and we had to get away, but we don't do the comeback and we don't do the rebuild. Mm-hmm. So we had a guest on recently, and when we asked her this question, she was saying how her hope for the South is that they'll be able to stay in the South because of some of the gentrification that's going on and just being able to have the ability to buy grandma's house because of how much things are gentrifying that grandma's house might not be able to be you know, paid for. Um, and so I, I really appreciate what you shared because it's a lot of what has been said and plus putting in more of an investment into the schools and like really being in the community that you live in. There's there's a lot. Wow. Lee, thank you so much for joining us for this, you know, this little snapshot of what you and your organization's doing and just like it's been really cool getting an opportunity to chat and I look forward to more conversations. Yes, thank you for having me. Dean, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, And for those that haven't been listening along thus far, I'm Nicole, and I'm joined here by my colleague, Isaiah. Hi, Isaiah. Hi, Nicole, and hello, Dean. Hi, Nicole, and hi, uh, um, Isaiah. Very good. You know, I'm so glad that you're able to join us today. Uh, So, Dean, tell us a little bit about who you are, um, what organization you're with, and uh, then we've got some questions for you. Okay, Okay, I'm Dean Edwards. I am the program manager over um, prevention services here at PALS that include CTRS, um, uh, PrEP, we have substance substance abuse programming here at PALS um, and um, mobile outreach, mobile testing. Uh, been with PALS about 17 years now. Um, PALS is um, formerly known as Palmetto AIDS Life Support Services. We've been around uh, since 1985. So the first in the state, first one of the first in the Southeast. And uh, we've been striving and moving forward over these past 30 plus years, 35 plus years. Um, Originally from the island of Bermuda, transplant here to South Carolina, um, and a um, little background in education. Yes. Awesome. So PALS is in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and thank you so much for giving us some more background about PALS and some of the programs that you offer. 
Dean, our, my first question for you is, how do you define your leadership? You know, at the summit, we have been talking a lot about leadership. Uh, and how how would you define your leadership? My leadership, um, very inclusive. Um, my uh, The team that we have here um, in prevention, we, you know, we bring stuff to the table. Um, being here over 17 years, I couldn't have gotten through it without the assistance of the team. Um, we, you know, over the years, we have brought students in, we have brought young, younger members in into the team, skilled members into the team, and that has allowed us to progress from just us basically doing uh, interventions to now whole fledged testing program. So I like to include everybody. I like to hear a lot of uh, um, 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 support and information from the team to help build us. Um, always encourage them to to get out into some of these conferences and summits and, and retreats and things like that to to bring back information to make our, our job a lot easier and uh, for us to be allowed to impact the community. So very inclusive, very welcoming. I always like to um, say that, you know, the door is always open and, you know, being around a long time, I know I can't do it all, you know, and it, 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 it can only work by everybody on this team pulling forward and assisting with, with what we're trying to accomplish. That is great to hear, Dean, and we're so happy that you made time to be a part of this podcast. You know, Southern Steep is really about um, looking at all of the folks in the South who are doing work with CBOs and with community, which obviously you do. And then the summit itself was really about bringing those folks together to talk about what those partnerships look like. And you talked a little bit about your organization and what it does. I'm wondering if you could share with Nicole and I and the listeners a little bit about um, your partnership building in South Carolina, particularly the partnerships that your organization is building with other CBOs, with other community leaders, and how you stay engaged with those folks as you're doing the important work that you've already articulated? Well, with engagement and community partnership, um, we have, you know, if over the years, we have maintained the respect of the community. And I think that's because we are, you know, we're in the community, have been in the community a long time. And the community understand that, you know, who we are, they're going to get the best quality service and, and best practices come from PALS. Um, we are ongoing with um, 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 engaging the community and community leaders in partnership um, with several projects. You know, every time you write a grant, you have to go to a different area or move in a di different direction. And because of PALS and the, the longevity of it, we don't have a problem with that. Um, we, you know, we from the state house to the to the local health department to surrounding county health department departments to the colleges and universities. Um, to some of the substance abuse areas. Um, it's just going in, negotiating with them, letting them know who we are, because sometimes we have to still do that, um, letting them know who we are, what we can offer, how, what we can partner um, with, um, and, and sometimes bringing them to the table. Years ago, when we was planning these national campaigns like National Black HIV Awareness Day and World AIDS Day, we always used to bring the community together and, and plan for the community the community event. We will do stuff at the state house. So we'll bring members from the universities, uh, members from the um, from the local um, shelters and things like that to the table to plan an event. And you know, on occasion, we have had different um, 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 events at these other institutions. Um, we're there in the community when the homeless shelter will have a community day, and we'll bring out, you know, not just our testing, but we'll bring up our uh, information table and just set up. So we, we're in the community everywhere. 
that we can be, um, and that's the local community, but we do go to surrounding counties to also um, engage the community and, and build, continue to, continue to build partnerships. It's, it's an ongoing thing. You can't just stop. You have to um, redevelop, refocus, and re-engage. You're absolutely right that it's an ongoing process and, you know, meaningful community engagement is not a one and done. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about some takeaways that you had from the CBO summit. I think one of the bigger things is something that, um, and we just, I just got off a meeting with the local health department, um, focusing on status neutral. Um, you know, we, the local, they're telling us that's the this direction that we need to move on. And I think hearing it at the summit, kind of not for the first time, but hearing it um, with the summit, this is what we're going to do. We're moving forward with this and we'll probably do a CBO request with y'all to move forward with status neutral. Also the marketing, social marketing and media. And I think, you know, that again, gave, gave me some ideas and how to engage our team to, to get out and do some of the things that we discussed um, and hopefully with a CBO request for both of those that, you know, we can move forward and, and shift some of the things that we've been doing. Sometimes it gets stagnant in some of the things. So, so um, and, and again, engaging and meeting people there at the summit, I think was great. Um, some people I knew from other, other um, conferences or, or, or in the area, but I think just listening to other people and the presentations and, and it actually was a well-organized um, summit um, for me for a few years, so. Thank you. We appreciate that feedback. You know, this was the first time that NASDAQ has done this type of event for CBOs. We are known as a convener of technical assistance events for health departments, and we have a lot of experience doing that. We are really putting some intentionality around building stronger relationships with CBOs and community folks. And this summit that you attended was really the first of its kind, and we are really looking to build upon that. So we appreciate the feedback and keep it coming if you and your peers have other thoughts about what you'd like to see in the future, how we can build upon it. Nicole and I and the entire team are open to that. This is a question that all guests get. What do you love about the South? And what do you want to see for the South? I like the South because it's a friendly environment. Um, people speak to you. Uh, we'll dialogue, have conversation with you. I love, of course, I love the weather. Um, the availability. I love the beach. So the availability to the beach is not far from here, whether it's in Charleston or going to Florida. Um, I just, just like the more um, personable, homely, um, very um, Southern um, way of approaching um, community and friends. Um, I, you know, I haven't lived anywhere else other than Atlanta and Bermuda. The place reminds me a lot of Bermuda. You know, Bermuda is a tourist island, and I feel um, like it's more welcoming in this area in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and... Um, you know, if you come through here, you're going to meet people. Um, they're all going to speak to you. We like to engage others in conversation. I would like the South, as, you know, if you want to talk about work-related, I would love us in the South to be able to um, to engage other ideas. Um, I see a lot of ideas in other, in other states as far as what I do, the type of work I do. Um, be, take more risk. You know, this is the South, this is the Bible Belt, and sometimes you can't do certain things, you can't post certain videos, 
Um, you can post certain billboards that may be risque. Um, I, you know, in order for us to get the message out and what we want to do and engage the community, you know, the community shifted from, you know, the Bible Belt south of 20, 30 years ago. Now, you know, they're, they, you know, they, um, they, you know, they, they're more focused or they're more out with their ideas and what they want to see. So I see, you know, because of the South and the Bible Belt that we have to be a little bit restrictive in what we do. I would like to see us to just kind of let some of those things go and allow us to do some some things outside of the box that we're restricted on right now. Uh, kudos to all of that. We agree. Uh, innovation is not just a buzzword. It should be something that leads our work. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we certainly agree with that. Um, before you go, uh, Dean, um, tell us, tell the listeners where they can find out more about your organization. What are your social media handles that you want to share? How can folks learn more about your organization? Great. So we are PALS, of course, www.pals.com on Facebook and Instagram, PALS as well. Um, and, um, you know, just just hit us up, shoot us an email. We always like comments. We like responses. We like good feedback. So um, you, we're here in Columbia, South Carolina. The number is 803-779-7257. My email address is dean.edwards with an S at pals.org. And, you know, please sh- shout out to us. Visit our website. And um, I just, again, thank you all for this opportunity. Thank you for uh, inviting us to the summit. Really appreciated that. And, again, we will look out for um, submitting some SIBA requests for some of the things that we know that we need to uh, move forward on. So thank you all. You know, Dean, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure getting to share space with you again. And uh, really looking forward to continuing our partnership with you all and working with you. Um, So thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Isaiah, good to see you. Hello, Nicole. Good to see you too. And hello, Malcolm. Good to see you as well. Hello. Good to see both of you guys. It's 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 a lot colder here than when we last saw each other in Florida, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, thanks for bringing up sunny Florida. You know, it's been a couple weeks since the Southern CBO Summit, which you were able to attend. But fo- before we get to that, uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, Malcolm, and uh, and what organization you're with? My name is Malcolm Reed. Uh, he, him pronouns. I am the director of programs for an organization called Thrive SS. THRIVE is an acronym that stands for Transforming HIV Resentments into Victories Everlasting. The SS stands for Support Services. And we are here to support Black same-gender-loving men living with or affected by HIV. Um, Now, having said that, we don't turn anybody away. If somebody comes, um, you know, through our linkage portal and they need to be linked to care. We could care less whether they were, are, you know, black, white, straight, gay, trans, whatever. We're, we're going to do our best to link you to care. But our mission, our original mission, was to support black, black same gender loving men. The organization was founded in 2015 by Daniel Driffin, Larry Walker, and Dwayne Bridges. 
three black gay men living with HIV who were working in public health. And um, they knew that there were a lot of disparities and the disparities were with the system in itself. Um, um, And so they started this organization to try to fix that, to try to make sure that, um, um, you know, black gay men were getting what they needed um, as far as HIV care, medical care and everything else. So I joined the organization in 2016 as a volunteer. I started a project called the Silver Lining Project. um, And that was mainly for, you know, black gay men living with HIV who had a little gray hair here here and there, um, members over 50. And because when I started really looking around as a man living with HIV and who wanted to get involved, when I looked around, I didn't see anything for guys my age. Um, And so, you know, the Silver Lining Project was born, you know, with a lot of help from some of the other members, DC Branch, Joe Robinson, Claude uh, Bowen, and Nathan Townsend, you know, we all got together and we, and we put together this program and um, it's been running, it's been up and running and funded for three years and then just got funded again by Gilead. So, so yeah, that, that part is working out. Um, um, For me, this is, you know, the whole nonprofit space is new. I I worked 20 years at AT AT&T. And um, so moving into this space you know, at my age when when I was supposed to be retiring was also, a you know, an interesting step. But, you know, I love what I do and, you know, enjoy coming to work every day. Thanks for sharing, Malcolm. Um, I appreciated during the summit how um, uh, vocal you were at, at various points in, in breakouts and in plenaries. We shared space together a few times and you always had something insightful to say and you weren't shy about saying it which as you know oftentimes when we when we come together it's my experience that everyone has something to offer but not always do they feel comfortable enough to like speak up in a in a crowd of people right and i thought that you were really excellent at modeling for us you know what just grab the mic stand up and say what's on your mind and and heart cuz that's important i wanted to know what did you really appreciate about the summit? What are you going to take away from that experience? Well, for me, um, a a couple of things. One, I really appreciated the size. Being that it was was small, it was intimate, the breakout sessions were, were, were very small, and you could get up there and make your you know, feelings known and and everything else. So that that was important because, you know, the last two conferences that I was at was USCHA and the international, you know, so it was a, just a total, you know, uh, uh, difference between those two. But what I also focused on, I, the reason I wanted to come to that summit was because it was focused on prevention. And as I mentioned, you know, Thrive's history has been, we are dealing with men who are living with HIV and, you know, with the, with finally the the uptick in prep in the black community finally you know the 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 status neutral approaches that that we're talking about we're really getting more into the prevention landscape and so i just wanted to learn as much as i possibly could about what was going on with prevention you know what is happening i'm kind of a policy geek so a lot of the policy issues around prevention um were important to me as well so you know, I got I got to um, I got to sit in on Nicole's workshop and a couple of other workshops. You know, about policy and that 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 too was very very important to me. So, I just loved the way it was structured. Like I said, you know, small, intimate, exchange some ideas, get some contacts, 
and, you know, talk to people, you know, after the summit. So that was really good. It was so great having you participate in some of the sessions. Um, and as Isaiah was mentioning, just hearing your voice throughout was just great. I appreciated everything you shared. We appreciate this feedback. You know, a lot of the content and discussions around the summit involved leadership. Can you share a little bit more about what your leadership style looks like? You know, it's it's interesting. Um, we just, um, our executive director just spoke to our Silver Lining team about leadership styles. And, you know, when I look at leadership styles um, and, and, the, and the workshop that I attended there at the summit, today I'm in my strategic leadership mode because I'm, I'm, we're starting we're starting the year out. I'm looking at grant reports from last year. I'm looking at strategies from our managers. I'm, I'm doing all of that. And I'm also being a very bureaucratic leader because there were some things that kind of fell through the cracks last year that I want to prevent. So I'm putting some processes and procedures in place. Um, I think in my role, um, I, you know, I have to I have to have all of those leadership styles on a shelf and be able to pick them when I need them. Um, I was, you know, like I said, 20 years at at and I managed um, a team of developers and testers, none of which I had the expertise in, you know? And so I was managing people who knew more than me. And in my first two years of, of that role, I was, I was really intimidated. I became a laissez-faire manager because it was like, okay, they knew their, they know their jobs. And the minute I open my mouth, they're going to know that I don't know. So I'm not going to say a word. Um, but then I realized it was like, you know what, no matter what, no matter how much, you know, everybody needs direction and everybody needs to say, wait a minute, is this the right thing to do? And so I, you know, I became, you know, more of a servant leader in that, in that role. Um, but then I started learning about the different types and, and realized that at any time of the day or when you're doing certain tasks, you're going to be, you're going to pull different um, leadership styles. I have, um, I have, uh, I have two uh, ladies on my team, my case manager and my um, community member engagement manager, and they both call me the daddy leader. They <laughs> they say that you know M Malcolm's very you know Malcolm's very uh, 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 interested in how we're doing, and they always know if they need something, they can come to Papa. So you know you got to do you got to do what works. Try to try to motivate your team as much as possible. Um, um, you know, I'm not quite in the trenches as much as I'd like to because we've got a lot of, you know, our um, our program um, um, library right now. Our program inventory is 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 a lot, and so just making sure that um, everybody, the managers, have what they need to keep those programs running um, puts me into a more strategic and, like I said, sometimes a bureaucratic role. But when I can get out there and be that servant leader and be that like I said, that daddy leader, you know, that's the, that's the one, that's the leadership role that I really like. Thanks for sharing, Malcolm. You know, supervision is a whole nother skill set. So I'm reminded, um, as you were sharing your, your experience at your previous job about how you were really leading a team where the, the team had a lot of expertise that maybe you didn't have. It is amazing to me. It's a reminder to me 
that uh, leadership is its own expertise. And so mm-hmm. um, even if you did have the same expertise as your team, that doesn't necessarily mean that your leadership would have been any different. And, and I think we see that a lot in the community work that we do and the HIV work that we do because there's so many different um, specializations. And I think we forget it because... Um, because of resources we end up with in our profession, as you and Nicole know, you know, people end up doing multiple roles. So maybe you're the outreach worker, you're the grant writer, you're the person that that looks at the books, you know, because you just don't have enough money to have someone in all of those roles. Mm-hmm. And so you quickly forget, oh, in other industries, there's a person for every role and you don't have to know everything. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, just, it's just fascinating. Exactly. Um, what do you love about the South? And what do you want to see for the South? I love Black culture in the South. You know, moving from New York City, which was, you know, extremely diverse, to coming to the South and seeing Black folks. Um, Obviously, some doing well, obviously, some not doing well. But the diversity among Black culture was huge for me when I moved when I first moved here. Um, and so that part really stuck out to me, just the, the you know the history, being being in Atlanta, being able to go to the King Center and really understanding what was going on. you know, even though I was a child during civil rights, and I remember when you know Martin Luther I remember some of those things with Martin Luther King, just being able to feel that history and and feel where it came from. Obviously, the weather is is better than it is in New York, although we've had some days here in Atlanta that it's like, I didn't move here for this. Uh, uh, I didn't move here for ice and snow and everything else, but it it definitely is better than New York. What do you want to see for the South? Um, <laughs> I, I would. I, the political landscape has got to change. You know, um, um, the 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 gerrymandering. It's like you live in a geographic location or a political location where most of the people are this, but yet. The minority is running the show and people aren't getting what they need. And the minute people ask for what they need, they're portrayed as being freeloaders or or whatever. So, you know, uh, that's why I'm such a policy advocate, because I, I just believe that, you know, we've got to change a lot of things that happen in the South. The, dis- the, the, the health disparities in the South are all because of the political landscape. And that's that's where the work has to be done. And I think that, you know, a community, if a a community is majority African-American, for example, then it is not unreasonable to say that the leadership of that community, the mayor, the police chief, the fire chief, all of the people who are making decisions should reflect the community that they're making decisions with and for. And that's a direct impact on health. That's a direct impact on public health. If the health department for a majority Black community doesn't have Black people in its leadership, that's not that that's no good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a term that I learned during the Southern CBO summit was political determinants of health. And that was mm-hmm. by Dr. Mata Monger. And mm-hmm. I think so much we talk about social determinants of health, but we don't talk about the political determinants of health, like Medicaid expansion, for instance. Uh, so thank you for bringing that up. And there's a there's a lot that can happen in the South. Um, but yeah, a lot of system change. 
Malcolm, thank you very much for joining us today uh, to talk a little bit about you and your program, your leadership, and some takeaways from the Southern CBO Summit. Uh, please save the date for uh, the next one, which is going to be taking place in January 2024. It's January 17th through the 19th, 2024. Malcolm, would you mind sharing your contact information, your social media handles for anyone who's listening who might want to connect with Thrive? Sure. Um, my email address is Malcolm, M-A-L-C-O-L-M, at thrivess.org. Obviously, thriveSS.org is our website. Um, and we are on all social media, most Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, I believe, with Thrive, Thrive underscore SS. And then if you just if you just want to reach out to, you know, just just me on social media, or if you have any other questions, if you can't find Thrive on social media. I am on Facebook at Mal, M-A-L-K-R-E-I-D, Mal K. Reed, and on Twitter at Malcolm Reed, all one word. Malcolm, it's been a pleasure. Um, stay warm, and we look forward to staying in partnership with you. Definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely want to you know, keep in touch. Well, I appreciate you listening to me today, and thank you for inviting me. And um, you know, enjoy the rest of the day and the weekend. Thanks thank for coming so on, Malcolm. Much. So we've had a lot of great conversations with some participants, both at the CBO Summit and after the summit. It's been really great getting to hear a little bit more about their organizations and the work that they're doing and how they identify as a leader. Yes, I agree, Nicole. You know, the, these conversations that we've been having with folks who attended this the summit for 2023 really gives me a lot of ideas and hope for next year and thinking about how we might want to pull the, the summit together again, who we might want to invite, what it what we want it to look like. And the feedback that we've gotten from community leaders has been very instructive. So I'm super excited. I'm really excited too. And really glad that we had an opportunity to interview folks live at the summit and looking forward to everything that's yet to come with next year and beyond. Absolutely. And um, I'm very happy that they were willing to come on Southern Steep and talk to us about their experiences because, you know, there's a difference between going to a technical assistance event or to a leadership development event and that being one thing. But to then be willing to talk about your experience on a podcast, that's that's a whole nother thing. So kudos to all of them. And we appreciate them immensely. Yes, absolutely. So much appreciation and ultimately a big cheers. Cheers to the 2023 Southern CBO Summit. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, it's been a journey and a half doing this episode with you. Really looking forward to having it all come together. And uh, yeah, I think I think that's a wrap for us. Indeed it is. Great to see you and to work with you as usual, Nicole. I'm Isaiah Webster. And I'm Nicole Elinoff. Thanks for listening.